0: Heavenly Father, thank you uh, once again for the privilege of being your child. Being connected and reconciled to you is truly wonderful. And Lord, also with that, you have reconciled us one to each other. And we have the privilege and joy of not only having fellowship with you, our great God, but enjoying fellowship with each other. And I pray that this morning would be fruitful. And cultivating deeper love and affection for our savior jesus and as we talk about parenting this morning lord i pray that we would be sharpened and honed in on principles and skills that are drawn from your word so that we would be uh, before you faithful uh, good stewards of the souls that you've entrusted into our care and we need your wisdom we need your help and strength and we ask these things in jesus name amen all right well before we jump into our study we've uh, neglected or not taken time to work through some of our, our biblical literacy resources that we had been reminding ourselves up frequently. So we're going to do that for just a little bit this morning and just walk through our key events of the Old Testament worksheet. So that should be in the back of your folder, the laminated sheet with uh, fun diagrams on it. And is there a volunteer who'd like to come up front and walk us all through that? No. Okay, I'll do it. <laughs> I asked a question I knew the answer to. <laughs> Everybody just chuckled. <laughs> come up front, all right? All right. Key events of the Old Testament. Let's walk through this. We know that for mankind, it began at creation. God created the world. However, shortly after creation, we experienced the fall man sinned against god where do we find the fall in our bibles genesis 3 exactly yep genesis 3 from there sin uh just transpired over and over again spread contaminated the hearts of men to where god's assessment of the heart of men the hearts of men was that uh it was only evil continually So God brought about judgment on the earth through the form of a flood and he preserved Noah and his family. God's instruction to Noah and his family after he saved them from the flood on the ark and they re-inhabited the earth was to disperse and multiply and fill the earth. What they did, however, was they all joined together and they sought to make a name for themselves. They didn't obey God. So what did God do? He confounded their languages and forced dispersion among them to spread out into the earth and yet he called and set apart one man he made a promise to one man to become a nation to bless all the other nations who is that abraham exactly within a nation you need three primary ingredients you need people constitution and land so what did god do he took the people of god the the Israelites Abraham's descendants they became captives in Egypt Um, they were slaves in Egypt they started as about 70 when they entered into Egypt and 400 years later they had multiplied to 2 million and God brought them out of the land of Egypt through a series of 10 plagues in 1446 BC as he brought them out they crossed the Red Sea and at this point they were 2 million strong and they had their people God brought them to Mount Sinai where he gave them the Constitution the law he gave them the law at Mount Sinai however, the people were disobedient as they waited for Moses they made a golden calf and they they called that golden calf Yahweh I don't know if you realize that they actually one of the the atrocious natures of the sin of the golden calf wasn't that they made a an idol different than Yahweh but they made an idol and called it Yahweh and that was a a egregious offense before the Lord it was sinful it was wrong and so God punished them delayed them in the wilderness where they wandered for 40 years that generation would not enter the promised land the next would and so then we see them entering the promised land they cross the Jordan they're called to divide and conquer and they do this And now they have their land and they are officially the nation of Israel at this point. So they have their people, their constitution, their law, that is, and their land. God calls them to occupy the land fully, however they fail to do so. They don't follow his command completely. And we get into these cycles of failures during the judges where they experience sin, servitude, supplication. That is, they cry out before the Lord for help. God brings it where they receive salvation, then silence, and it happens over and over again throughout the book of Judges until you see total corruption in the land and its evidence just even in the priesthood where Eli and his sons are just falling way short of God's standard. At this point, there's no king, no capital, no priesthood, no land, and no theocracy. What that is is a theocracy is a a people ruled by God. By, by spiritual governors looking to God So they had priests They had spiritual leaders But God was their, was their king Well they rejected that And they wanted a monarchy That is they wanted a king like all the other nations And so what did they do They looked for a king like all the other nations And they found Saul And they cried out for him to be king However he had the wrong heart Saul didn't have a regard for the ark He was disobedient to God Had a disregard for God's law so what did God do? He raised up a king after His own heart, David. David, uh, one of his first acts was to go get the ark. He was obedient to God, had a regard for His law. After David came Solomon. Solomon had a divided heart, and yet the land experienced peace and prosperity, and inhabitation of the land. They were very prosperous. However, God told them not to not told Solomon not to acquire three primary things as a means of security for the nation. What were those three things that Solomon was not to acquire? Horses, wives, and money, exactly. The horses would be like uh, army, army tank um, reinforcements for the nation. So to, to have many horses was to have a strong military, to have a strong military was to feel secure as a nation. Wives was to create uh, alliances and allegiances with other nations, and then money obviously is uh, is power and prestige there. So what was the result? Well, in 931 B.C. at the end of Solomon's reign, the Israel uh, the kingdom split into two two groups. There were the northern tribes, which continued to be referred to as Israel, the northern ten tribes, and then the southern two tribes, uh, which consisted of Benjamin and Judah, which. Uh, is oftentimes referred to as judah although particularly post assyrian captivity judah is referred to as israel again Um, but that that's somewhat interchangeable but the distinction was israel and judah israel had no good kings in 722 they're taken into the assyrian captivity judah had some good kings in the first phase of the babylonian captivity which came about through three different phases was in 605 however god promised Israel or Judah um, that there was a future for them that God was in control of all of this he wasn't finished with his people he would provide he would provide an atonement for their sins and that there would be a future kingdom well, why exile and Babylon how did God use this well the Babylonians were incredibly adulterous they had idols everywhere everywhere on their houses doorposts street corners and so what this meant for the people of god was uh they grew a distaste for idols being so saturated in it in the babylonian culture they also grew a respect for the law and a hope for the messiah who would come and restore what had been broken so then they start to return to the land they're returning to prepare for the messiah we see two books in our old testament that uh, really dive into preparation for the messiah's return at this time do you guys recall what those are One has to do with rebuilding the temple and one has to do with rebuilding the walls. Ezra and Nehemiah. Yep, Ezra and Nehemiah. And do you guys recall which was which? So close. (laughs) 50-50 chance. It's the opposite and the way I remember that is Ezra is shorter and the temple is more compact and Nehemiah is a longer word and the walls are longer. That's how I remember. I have to come up with silly devices to remember things. So yes, Ezra was rebuilding the temple, and Nehemiah was rebuilding the walls. Great. And so then Christ came, and, um, and we see the church age entered into. Any comments, questions about that? Okay. All right. Well, let's transition to our study for this morning. Did everybody grab an outline? Everybody t- good to go on their outline? Excellent. Well what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about sh- shepherding children and particularly discipline to faithfulness in the home. God calls each one of us to be faithful with our own hearts first and foremost and we will be better positioned to step into every area of responsibility in our lives as we are faithful with the care of our hearts and as we consider uh, the reality that those who are of closest proximity to us really get the outflow of our heart it's a sobering fact to consider the importance of caring for our heart and so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about some foundational principles for parenting to the glory of God how do we go about this and We absolutely cannot cover even close to all that could be covered about parenting in 45 minutes this morning. But what I do wanna do is really just refresh some key principles, some foundational principles as we think through parenting that hopefully will spur us into deeper thought and consideration of those areas and strengthen us and maybe even give occasion for some questions to come up that we didn't know to ask before and to dive into and to interact with in the future and so uh, r- I recognize fully that we're not going to be able to cover every category or topic that could be covered uh, but as you have questions that that this conversation that this lesson maybe creates go ahead and write those down and and it's a opportunity to talk to Anne as much as you want later and she can, no, in um, any, any of us in I mean we, we, we have the privilege of sharpening one another and leaning on one another in this so Before we really dive into shepherding children, I think it's important to consider what the goal is. And this is a a visit from Captain Obvious, but it's important to say it because it can be so easy to get caught up in the minutia of parenting, like everything else in life, to, to, to miss, oh yeah, this is ultimately what it's about. And first and foremost, we know that the supreme goal of parenting is the glory of God, the glory of God. 1 corinthians 10 31 i'm sure you guys are familiar with it whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god that is the supreme end of what the christian life is about there's no greater goal of what the christian aspires to accomplish than the glory of god that's what we're to be about every other pursuit that needs to have a priority in our life is subject to to that priority every other priority bends itself and needs to come under this supreme umbrella of glorifying god of honoring him of him being exalted through our lives not that we add to his glory but we simply ascribe through our actions and our life and our words the glory that he possesses and deserves this is a really helpful starting point because especially with children, there's, there's really nobody else other than our spouse that has our affections the way that our children do. And there's nothing else we want for our children more than to see them do well before the Lord, to know the Lord, to thrive in this life to the glory of God. And yet those really good desires that shouldn't be let go of, have to bend themselves to, first and foremost, God being glorified in our parenting. And what this is, is this reality is a stabilizer for the heart and the soul when things don't go as we desire them to go for our children. To recognize that the goal of parenting is not that I feel fulfilled through the successes of my children is helpful. Because we can't always control the outcome, the successes, the victories. It also is a stabilizer in the failures of our children. They're going to sin. We will have expectations that at some point they don't meet. And if our goal is to get personal fulfillment or satisfaction or personal joy out of the intimacy and relationship and closeness and successes and victories of our children, that is a vain hope. And that's not the hope that God calls us to have in our parenting. But if the supreme goal is the glory of God, who has control over that? Ultimately, God, but us, right? Our behavior, our submission to the Lord, our trust in the Lord in the midst of those things. And so our supreme goal is not personal fulfillment or joy. It's also not ultimately salvation. We can't save our children. The goal of parenting, the primary goal of parenting is not that my children become christians that is a wonderful beautiful good desire that we should culture uh, um, cultivate rather we should pray to that end we should labor to that end in faithfulness but that good desire cannot supersede the supreme desire of wanting god to be glorified it must be god's glory and this has both a focusing and stabilizing effect for each one of us as we step into parenting. Because listen, how you feel isn't the dictator of whether things are going well. How your kid responds in any given moment isn't the dictator as to if your parenting is going well. The outcome 20 years down the road of parenting isn't the dictator of if things have gone well. Were you faithful? Not perfect, God, God knows we won't be, but were you faithful before him? Did you entrust yourself to him? Did you entrust your children to him? Did you seek to honor him through faithful worship as you served your family and cared for your children? So with that the, as the foundation of the supreme goal, in, any questions or comments on that before we move forward? Because that that is really foundational and everything else that we talk about needs to flow out of that. Okay, next, a next principle for parenting to the glory of God. First of all, remember the supreme goal, which is the glory of God. Next, we, parent as one, parent as one. What do we mean by that? Do not neglect your marriage for the sake of your children. There needs to be unity within the marriage relationship. This is an incredible aid in parenting to the glory of God, having unity and faithfulness in your marriage relationship Uh, an extremely helpful aid in achieving goal number one in staying faithful to god's call is cultivating a strong marriage before the lord you will not serve your children well to neglect your marriage for the sake of your children sacrifices absolutely are made Things in a marriage don't look the same after you have kids from before you have kids. Those are perfectly good realities. And yet, you cannot neglect God's call for you in your marriage for the sake of your children. Things aren't going well with my husband right now because I just my kids really need me. You, you will hinder your ability to fit And meet the needs of your children if you are neglecting your obligation as a wife. In your parenting, we need to remember God's purpose for the marriage relationship. That will be an aid, that will enhance your ability to shepherd your children to the glory of God, to care for them well to the glory of God as you are faithful in your marriage relationship. And so remember God's intention, His purposes for marriage relationship. And there are absolutely many different purposes for marriage before the Lord but I want to draw attention to a few that I think are particularly impactful and significant as we consider this. First of all, companionship. Your husband is a companion for you from the Lord. There is a sweet unity that you possess as one flesh as one unit in the marriage relationship. And if you remember genesis 2 18 when god looks at man and he says it's not good for man to be alone right and this is post creation pre fall so sin has not yet entered the world and as god created the world what was his conclusion day by day it's good it's good it's good it's good it's good it's good he looks at all that he has made it was very good and there was one thing that we have recorded that we are aware of that God specifically drew attention to in a sinless world that was not good. It's not good for a man to be alone. And so he made a helper suitable for him. And it was Eve. There is a sweet companionship. There is a gift from the Lord reality to be able to navigate this life alongside of another in a marriage relationship. And so don't forget that, that your, your spouse is your companion. There are times often enough where you feel like you're on an island in your parenting. Don't let it feel that way in your marriage relationship if in as much as it has to do with you. Enjoy the companionship and, and the unity that God desires in the marriage relationship. Also service of one another This was God's design from the very beginning. Uh, Spiritual equality, role differentiation for the sake of unity and service of one another. A wife is called to be a helper for her husband in this life. She is his helper, a man's helper. And this comes about in many different ways. She's to be a faithful worker in the home, caring for the children, caring for the home. She's to pray for her husband, be an encouragement and a support for her husband. She's to respect her husband. There's opportunities for loving admonishment and diligent love and care in the midst of disobedience of her husband. She's called a shepherd and train children. And so thinking through these things are, are crucial. The fact that you have children doesn't let you off the hook from God's call for you to be a helper, to be a wife, to be a companion, a servant in the home and thinking through questions in your life how am I intentionally, Lord, help me see and have eyes as to how I can be a faithful helper for my husband today? will aid your parenting. That, that will be an, an enhancement to your parenting, cultivating a disposition and a life that is faithful in this area. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. While a wife is to come alongside as a helper to her husband, a husband is to be a chief servant in the home serving as christ serves the church giving of himself for the benefit of his bride this is a wonderful gift to a household where there's a christ-like leader in the home and a church-like submitter helper in the home as well this is going to aid the aroma of the home and, and the trajectory of the home for the benefit of the children this characterization that's put on display through this kind of Christ-like service and humble submission and joyful service, it characterizes Christ in the church. As we see in Ephesians 5, 25 through 30, the marriage relationship is, is a picture of Christ and his people. The gospel is to be put on display through biblical marriages. And think about that for young ones growing up in a home where a tangible, clear, God-intended picture of Christ in the church is put on display through the loving relationship of a husband and a wife. Husband's love is to imitate Christ's sacrificial love on the cross. And the wife's submission to her husband is to demonstrate the church's eager submission to Christ. And where a husband and wife are practicing this well it's a it's a sweet winsome picture and aroma to watching world to the watching world as well as to young children watching and getting to experience the benefits of this in the home and so we see companionship service of one another as we parent together characterization of christ in the church well god's intention in marriage is also for physical intimacy sexual union in the marriage relationship and this is important as you seek to parent to the glory of God, to not neglect God's call for husbands and wives to be one flesh and to practice this in a God-honoring, healthy manner. God intends for couples to be sexually satisfied in one another, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 7, where a man's body is not his own, but is to be used in service of his wife, and the wife's body is not her own, but to be used in service of her husband. This is good and right. Hebrews 13:4 says the marriage chamber is not to be defiled, but it's to be honoring to the Lord. And there's a tremendous pressure with the demands of children and schedules to neglect all of these areas of life and yet that will not aid you as you press forward in faithfulness towards the Lord in marriage. Don't don't underestimate the significance that this actually has on your parenting together in your home. Uh, to be one, to be unified, to not neglect key areas of your marriage relationship will enhance your parenting significantly. And, and there's something to consider in all of this. We live in a fallen world. The ideal is very rarely met. We, we oftentimes experience not the ideal because we live in a sinful world. And so to take into considerations that if your life circumstances find you outside of the ideal, if your spouse is not all that God calls your spouse to be, if your marriage is broken or you're, you're not married, if your spouse has passed away, those are effects of living in a fallen world. And while it's not the ideal You have everything you need to honor God in your parenting by your faithfulness. And so whatever circumstance you find yourself in, take heart and trust yourself to the Lord. Know that you have what you need through him and his word, his spirit in you to glorify him even if you find yourself outside of the ideal. Trust the Lord and still press on in faithfulness. And if you have life circumstances that allow for you to exert yourself towards faithfulness in your marriage in this way, then do it. Do it faithfully. Any questions, comments on that before we move forward? Okay, we'll keep going. Next, number three, remember God's call for personal holiness. Remember God's call for personal holiness. Are you guys all with me on the outline? This is the, the top of page two. Excellent. Remember God's call for personal holiness. We don't get to neglect God's call for the kind of person that we must be because of the external circumstances going on around us. We need to remember God's call for us to be holy. And when God's glory is the supreme end in all of this that we're going for, this makes personal holiness so attractive. Because in every moment of parenting and shepherding, I don't have to try to produce an outcome in something around me. God calls me to look within me, not for strength, but look to him for strength, but look towards what needs to be changed in me. What do I need God to deal with in me? Where do I need to yield to the Lord where I'm trusting in myself? So what does this look like as we seek to cultivate personal holiness or what are some ways where we might be prone to neglect God's call for personal holiness? Well, first of all, we need to remember biblical principles for addressing sin. Biblical principles for addressing sin. One of the primary ways that we come alongside in the care for our children is helping them understand the wisdom of submission and obedience and the folly, the sinfulness of defiance and hard-heartedness. The folly of foolishness. And so we are going to just be very well acquainted, you know this, with your children's sin. Y- you're going to see it so clearly and you're going to see it very frequently. And there's a temptation oftentimes to speak loosely about our children's sin in the name of parenting or compassion towards another. And things like logs and specs aren't to be neglected simply because it's our children we need to be addressing sin in our own life gossip slander we don't get off the hook because it's our kid and so i can speak specifically and free freely in ways that are not edifying or beneficial for our children ephesians four twenty nine: our words to and about our children are to be edifying they're to give grace that doesn't mean we can't talk about the realities of struggles and seek counsel but we need to be wise in how we do that, right? How easy is it to get into a fellowship group setting and ask for help and give 10 minutes of details that's not being shared because those details are crucial in helping me know how to honor the Lord, but more it's, it's an opportunity to, to grumble and complain and look at how hard it is right now, uh, woe is me, where, where that's evident in the heart, we need to address that. Also, when thinking about addressing sin, biblical principles remain. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God, James 1.20. If our children aren't doing what we ask of them, we don't have the freedom to unleash on them in anger to get them to do what we want. As if we're somehow justified because they've been pushing our buttons all day. But we're still called to holiness, to self-control. Even thinking about Matthew 18 and how we speak about things in regards to our children. Our children are not going through Matthew 18 in the household. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. But just starting with, if your brother sins, go to him in private. This can be really helpful when addressing sin with multiple children in the home. That you don't intend to shame them into obedience if you discover something that is sinful with your child that you need to investigate, it's wise to not ask them in front of all of their other siblings. Did you do this? Pull them aside, go to them in private, investigate the matter, draw them out. Again, not because we're Matthew 18 in our children. It's a biblical principle that's helpful in spiritual care for our children in the home and parenting in our home. So think through those things. Consider Galatians 5:22 and 23. Can anybody recall what that passage is? Fruit of the Spirit. Exactly. Exactly. Don't neglect personal holiness in your parenting of your children, but rather walk in the Spirit. What does the Spirit produce? Love. Joy. Oh, God calls me to be joyful in my parenting. Peace. God calls me to be peaceable. Peaceable and pushover are not the same things. It's not peaceable to be a pushover and to stand firm on something doesn't mean that you aren't being peaceable, right? Have a quiet disposition of entrustment to the Lord, peace. You're not out of control in a moment of parenting or instructing. There's peace in your heart, entrustment to the Lord, love, joy, peace, patience, patient with your children. Again, patience does not mean tolerating evil. Rather, patience is a disposition in you where you are not brought out of control because of the external circumstances that are going on around you. So patience doesn't mean I let them do what I told them not to 10 times before I actually address it. That's not being patient, okay? Patience is I'm going to respond with self-control, not lose my control of myself when they're disobedient as I address it appropriately in the moment. So love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, those should be the terms that describe your parenting. And there's no circumstance that your child participates in that calls for things other than that. Every moment of discipline Every moment of admonishments, even moments of frantic physical care for them, doesn't mean you're not this. You can be patient and gentle and say, Don't don't step in the street. <laughs> that doesn't mean you're not patient or gentle because you're caring for them urgently. Okay? Gentle would be a, and I can't believe you do that again. I've told you a thousand times. You know. Well I'm justified. I was just really scared in the moment no no you can cr- you can speak appropriately to the need of the moment and not lose your control and that's what God calls each of us to also uh, a helpful passage for thinking through interaction Romans 12 9 through 21 just goes through a slew of love that's sincere and without hypocrisy and not repaying evil for evil but overcoming evil with good that can be incredibly instructive when thinking about walking with our children through various uh, shepherding moments and needs so don't neglect God's call for personal holiness you will be best positioned to step into your children's lives as you first set your heart that the aim is God's glory as you Diligently engage in your marriage relationship, and as you faithfully pursue godliness of life in your parenting, that's that's really the foundation of where our parenting needs to start. I'm going to keep asking. We'll circle back and, and have a uh, questions at the end. But any questions thus far? Okay, you guys are you're saving them up for the end. That's good. Let me have it at the end. Okay, next number four, principles for parenting. Principles for parenting. And here we're gonna um, talk a little bit about the difference between training and discipline. Training and discipline. And there's some nuances here that I wanna point out. It is absolutely important and it is so helpful to set expectations. If you've been married for any length of time, I'm sure that you're well aware that one of the biggest challenges in a marriage relationship is unspoken expectations. That can be one of the most divisive, unhelpful realities where you miss things with your husband because he has unspoken expectations, you have unspoken expectations, and there's lack of forgiveness or bitterness or disappointment or anger or sorrow because you thought that they should have done something that they didn't do and you never communicated or vice versa. It happens both ways all the time. Well, that's that's the same for your children. Your children need to be trained. They need to be instructed. They need guidance to know what's expected of them. Deuteronomy six is so helpful about the proactive nature of teaching truth to your children keeping God's word a regular thing that is spoken about in the home and it's written on doorposts and walkways and so forth there's a proactive training towards what is right we do this from the very beginning right we train our children don't don't touch the pointy thing no no you t- you train them right you instruct them in these things and there's a benefit for the child as they're being trained towards what is right, to to set expectations. Go ahead and turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are graceful, a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. This proactive, diligent instruction and teaching are a tremendous blessing to a child to be told what's expected of them, to be directed the way they, they should go, to set expectations and to think in this as I train my children, I need to set obtainable goals for them. These are goals, this is training that has their best interests in mind. I'm equipping them to be able to take steps towards success and submission and obedience. What does this look like and not look like? You wouldn't tell somebody you need to make an omelet and demand that of them and they've never learned how to crack an egg. You've gotta help equip them and recognize they're young, that you are their first exposure to various principles in this world. and so. Show them, hey, here's how we here's how we crack an egg. Okay, that's a, a mundane example, but the principle remains in all areas of life. What might that look like in, in, in actual practice? Well, let's say you have a three or four year old who is shy, and we have a fellowship gathering for church coming up, and you go to the fellowship gathering and you meet somebody new and you say, Little Johnny, say hi. Uh, look them in the eye don't make me look bad <laughs> you know they're you know doing doing all this different stuff and you get home and you, why did you were so rude you weren't loving you weren't kind you should have engaged i said say hi And they, oh i you know i i got nervous i got scared okay well that you didn't help set your child up to succeed what might proactive instruction and training look like hey little johnny we have a fellowship gathering today do you like those oh yes i get to play okay great Do you think there will be some people we know there? Yeah. Do you think there will be some people we don't know? Yeah. Okay, how do we show kindness and love when we meet somebody for the first time? I don't know. Well, first of all, we'd look them in the eye. Look me in the eye. (laughs) No. No, like this. Yeah, good job. And then what might they say? Nice to meet you. And what should you say if somebody says that to you? It's nice to meet you too. And then they might shake hands, shake my hand, yeah, oh, squeeze my hand, as hard as you can, oh, too hard, okay. you know, Make it fun, enjoy it with them. Uh, or they might do knuckles or high fives, yeah, and that's a way to show kindness and love when they do that, and then when it's time to go, what do you say, it was nice to meet you, and then you leave, yes. Okay, and now when you get there, now it's not an issue of ignorance, or not knowing, or not clear set expectations, now when you're actually in that moment it's an issue of fear of man and defiance that you actually have clarity on if you need to address them in discipline or whether or not you know it, you set them up to have opportunity to succeed in that moment and now you have something to refer back to hey remember what we talked about look them in the eye oh, oh yeah Okay, and you can help shepherd them and guide them in those things. Proactive, th- that's an example with young ones, but our older ones need that as well. Hey, I'm gonna be gone for an hour. What are you planning to do while I'm gone? How is that gonna go? What are my expectations? What's the expectations with schoolwork? What's the expectations? Set expectations. It's so helpful, because then you have a platform to discern is what is taking place ignorance or is what is taking place defiance? And that really leads into the discipline portion, when we think about diligently disciplining. So we need to consistently train. We need to be thinking and tuning our minds to equipping our children with the tools and the instruction that they need to know what expectations and obtainable goals are. And, and one more thought on the obtainable goals. This is really helpful all, all to consider. All that you desire your kids to be able to do you, you need to make sure that what you're asking of them is actually something they possess the skills to do. So an extreme example, just for clarity, if you have a one and a half year old and you tell them it's time to clean up the playroom, they may not know which toys go on which shelves yet. <laughs> and what do you do? Okay, put this toy on this shelf, that that specific toy, do this. Julie did a great job of this with Asher. Um, and he is like a super pro early on at cleaning up and still has great just uh, patterns of cleaning up after himself and things like that. But he, you know, she would take 15 minutes to clean up what she could have done on her own in two because she was helping him, training him to do it. And, and it was a wonderful gift for him. Some, for some reason that we fell off the wagon with Elijah. <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> he does really well when we give him specific instruction. And, uh, and, and it's just, it's helpful to set those obtainable goals. You don't wanna ask or demand of your children things that are going to exasperate them. And so even focus times of study or Bible reading or story time, and at the same time, your kids are capable of far more than you probably think they are. And so set obtainable goals, but don't, don't put you know, only things on the lowest shelf. They, they'll rise to the occasion as you discipline, as you uh, consistently train them and equip them for success. So consistently train and then diligently discipline. And I want to look at a few different proverbs together and then we're going to talk a little bit about some principles within, within disciplining. So Proverbs 13:24, and we'll be going left to right here. So we'll start at 1324. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs nineteen eighteen. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And then jump down to verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. And then Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. And then lastly, the last two are in chapter 29. (coughs) Verse 15, the rod of reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And verse 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort He will also delight your soul. Here we see just a a little bit about God's desire and instruction for discipline, the importance of it. It needs to be a part of your parenting in your home. And God is not silent about the means of discipline and the benefit of the rod. The benefit of the rod is God's tool towards helping train up your children in the way that they should go. Now, I think it's important to consider God's purpose for the rod. Discipline, discipline through the means of the rod is God's means of driving out foolishness in the heart of the child. The rod is not God's means of instilling knowledge into the child in the sense of um, they didn't know not to touch this book, but they touched it so they're gonna get Disciplined now they know no. God's means for the rod is not instilling knowledge in that regard it's rather removing foolishness our instruction should instill the knowledge don't touch the book when they look at you look at the book, hear you say don't touch the book then look at you again and touch the book (laughs) because of defiance because of foolishness in their heart that's when the rod is to be used it's to drive foolishness and foolishness primarily in the realm of a lack of submission and obedience a willful defiance towards those in authority so God's intention for the rod is to be a means of driving foolishness out of the heart and instilling wisdom into the heart the purpose of the rod is not punitive punishment In fact, I've worked hard, we've worked hard in our home to not use the term punishment ever in regards to the rod. As if there's a conclusion and judicial verdict based off of the severity of the event at which they need to atone for. That's not how the rod is described in scripture. The rod is described as a means of softening the heart driving foolishness from it and instilling wisdom that's a helpful distinction that i'm not giving to my children what they got coming in the moment of administration of the rod but rather like jesus discipline for his children is done out of loving tender care the exertion of the rod is done out of loving tender care to bring about a softness of the heart as foolishness is driven out and wisdom is embraced, and they resubmit themselves under your authority. That defiance is removed. So discipline is is to be a means of driving foolishness out of their heart, not driving ignorance out of their heart. Instruct and train, and where there is clearly defiance, you'll know, you know your children, and when you don't know at first, you'll start to see it and catch on. It, it's a means of driving this, this foolishness from their heart when um, when we first started this I had to deal with this in my own heart in in, com- in recognizing this distinction early on our, our initial practice in disciplining our children was changing the number of swats depending on what I perceived as the severity of the offense so if it was kind of a touch something when you shouldn't you might get one or two swats if it was a slap your mom in the face you were getting three or four swats um, and, and as I started Uh, looking at God's word, talking with other parents, took the parenting class at Grace Bible Church, realized, oh, we've been using the rod as more of a, like I'm the judge and I'm administering a a judicial punishment, not this is an exertion of tender care uh, to help them understand the foolishness of their actions and to drive it out. We went to just a set number of swats, regardless of the offense. Uh, That was actually really helpful for our kids to have, um, just a clear, clear expectation of what that whole process entailed. And for us, it was three if they w- laid still and it was five if they, <laughs> if they fought. And that was just, that was the clear distinction. Um, there was foolishness in the action and to bring about uh, a recognition of that foolishness, they would get three swats. And yet if they fought us, that was additional defiance in the moment that was being demonstrated. Uh, additional foolishness that was being demonstrated and so they would get five that um, that clarity of expectation we found really really helpful practically for our children they just knew what was coming there wasn't this how many swats am I going to get oh it's really bad if I'm getting four now I'm going to cry really loud oh I can handle one or two it's like no this is just this is the event this is the means and, uh, and so we would sit, we would talk through very specifically and very succinctly, especially when they were young. Um, Daddy told you this, you said no, you're gonna get a spanking. <laughs> Lay down flat, in straight to the point, that's sin. And then immediately following discipline is reconciliation, restoration. If they're not at a point to do that yet, very quickly, uh, it might mean round two if there is still hardness in their heart, and if I say, no, no, nah, you know, we've, maybe my kids are the only one that have ever done that. That's a biographical account, autobiographical account of me when I was a child, okay. So we'll just put it in that category. Uh, you know, if those types of things are taking place, that foolishness is still there. And, and listen, a self-controlled right appropriation of a spanking brings about a softness of heart that you will never get from time out. It, it just does. And so we have to trust the Lord in our discipline of our children. So it's not punitive, it's restorative. With that, with that, whenever there is an occasion to allow your children to do the right act that they were neglecting to do, take advantage of that, do that. That's helpful for them. So if it was, uh, um, you need to share your toy with Sally, no. Uh, You might have a discipline moment. And then after that, they need to go pick up their toy and share it with little Sally. If it's a, you need to take a bite of your vegetables. um, This is what we're having for dinner and you need to have two bites. No. (laughs) Go, Go discipline, bring them back hey now you need to obey daddy take or mommy take take a bite we had some children where that was a single event and it would just you know solve solve all our problems and achieve all our hopes and dreams in a single moment and it was just blissful to watch the fruit of obedience to the lord blossom in our children so quickly and then you know the next day or two we might have to do the same thing but then we discipline the same thing you know they they'd obey there was submission and we had uh, another child where it was not that way. It was every meal for six months. There was there was need for, not every, that's a, that's every meal where we had something that that one didn't enjoy. <laughs> so like two thirds of every of, of the meals. It was frequent. And I remember being at my in-law's house and we were having something that I, I knew they didn't love. And so I instructed the child to, to take a bite because they had been avoiding it. And they did. And I was putting my napkin on the table getting ready to get up because I knew what was, I thought I knew what was coming and they did it. And I was like, <laughs> good job, <laughs> what just happened? It just happened. And that was that was that child. It, Every issue was a huge issue for an extended period of time until it wasn't. And then there was another issue waiting in the wings. But th- it's so helpful to go, okay, This is why parenting to the glory of God matters. God called us to be faithful. And so don't abandon God's means when your perception is it's not working. Trust the Lord. It will work in His time if He intends, but He's given us the the method. Focus on Am I being faithful in what God has called me to do in the training of my children? And again, these clear expectations this tender care self-controlled care concern with the glory of God it's absolutely applicable and appropriate for young children and as your children get older and discipline methods shift the same consistency and encouragement and faithfulness and holiness of life that God calls us to when they're two is expected when they're 12 and 16 and so on any questions on that? Got it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Great question. Yes. So um, in that instance, uh, I'll just walk you through what that moment looked like for us. Yes, so the question is your child is foolish. They require discipline. You lead up to the discipline, administer the discipline, and there isn't a softness of heart in response. Um, And are we talking younger child at this point? Okay, so um, younger child, I'll, I'll just walk you through what our practice was. We 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 had a designated area. It was it was our bed um, that the children would go. That's where they would receive discipline. That's also where they would receive encouragement. If if I saw something that was extraordinarily encouraging, hey, go sit on my bed, and they'd go sit on. I don't know if it was good or bad. Is what we did. They'd go sit on our bed. Hey, I saw how you, you know, shared such and such. Nobody prompted you to do that. That was very encouraging. Great job. Uh, let's just pray. Thank the Lord for that kindness and praise him for that moment that was encouraging I didn't want every time we have a serious discussion or a conversation about something to be only when it was negative I I wanted them to have specific times of encouragement where I withdrew them from the situation to acknowledge what was going really well Um, so you know uh, we'd go to their room or go to our room uh, they'd be sitting on our bed (coughs) Um, we would talk about the sin the younger they were the quicker all of this needed to happen so the younger they are, this needs to be boom, boom, boom. When they're a little bit older, three, four, five, they can connect the dots, they remember, they can comprehend those things, but you're still not making them wait unnecessarily. It's, it's brutal to wait on their end. <laughs> um, but you're, you're getting in there, and same with the nature of the conversation, the articulation or the specificity. Uh, when they got a little older, spend a little bit more time when they were younger, daddy said no, that's sin that's foolish you're going to get a spanking and and would would tell them the expectations so they knew knew what was happening and what was gonna what was gonna come when they were longer or when they were older those conversations might be a little bit longer this is where the book shepherding a child's heart I think is some really helpful points to think through what you're trying to address in those moments but there's some examples that they give where it's like hey you address the heart so you got to tell them the gospel and break down you're a, ne- you're a sinner and the only way of salvation for your sin is Jesus. Those are great principles and there will be times where within your discipline you need to take 15 to 20 minutes to, to share with them the gospel and point them to Christ. That should be happening all throughout life in your home. Talking to them about the nature of sin, their need for the gospel. The You don't want the predominant time where they're exposed to the fact that they're a sinner and in need of the gospel to be in discipline. That's sh- that should come, but don't lean on that as the predominant time when they're exposed to those realities. Talk about those things with your children frequently. And and there may be times, but my perspective is they need to understand that they sinned, they need to understand what the instruction and, and the offense was, and they need the discipline of the Lord, and then they need to walk in, in subjection. Some circumstances will allow for a longer event, And some circumstances won't. And I wouldn't want somebody's conscience to be bound that I've got to spend 30 minutes every event to make sure that I'm shepherding their heart by reciting to them a 15-minute explanation of the gospel and they're two. (laughs) Tell them that they sinned against the Lord, they were disobedient to mommy, this was the offense, you're gonna get a spanking, lay down. And then we would administer the the um, the rod, and um, we always used a rod. That was our normal practice. Um, we worked really hard to think through the means of the rod as uh, causing and inflicting non-damaging pain. So you don't want a bruise. You're not trying to create a, a heavy impact. You you don't want rawness from where they've been spanked. And so whatever utensil you choose, whatever rod you use, something that you can provide kind of a a whipping sensation more than an impact is much, much, much better, just practically speaking. You're not trying to damage your child or hurt them. You're trying to create a stinging sensation that associates discomfort and submission. (laughs) And so, you know, we, I, I would have Julie um, take us a, a, a spoon. We used like a long plastic um, spatula or not spatula, but like baking spoon because it had kind of a flat end and you could get a good snap, <laughs> you know, without impact. And so I'd have her, love me have it. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Okay. Yep. That's where we want to be. She just hadn't been familiar. You know, she, it, there was just more tenderness, not, just want to make sure she's doing it right. And, and so we were uniting our efforts. We wanted it to be similar if I was disciplining or if she was. And um, and so we actually practiced and uh, she got good. She figured it out. I can attest to that. No no lingering marks. It was effective, but it hurt. So that was good. Um, and then, okay, so then at that point, okay, if they're like, no big deal, um, it might be a cause for consideration. Are you, are you disciplining hard enough? That's one consideration. Um, am I impacting too hard and not snapping enough? <laughs> because the solution is not necessarily I have to spank them harder. Well, spank them more effectively. Think through that lens. Um, the issue might be just a very hard-hearted, stubborn child. And so uh, we, we had that, where after a few different rounds uh, of discipline, I asked the child, who, who is in authority over you? I am! Lay down again. <laughs> okay, and, and we would go several rounds. You need to measure your own heart. The most important thing is your own heart in this if you find yourself being prone to anger in that moment lack of patience lack of control that's when it needs to end lose the battle for the sake of the war if 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 you are losing control don't persist because i've got to get this out of them you've got you need to deal with you at that moment if they're a little older you can take a break and come back if they're not you might choose to okay we're going to we're going to pray as they're squirming and fighting against me and then I'm going to leave them in their room and they're going to throw things and whatever and I'll make sure my heart's controlled and come back when I'm in a better spot to to either continue or move on in that moment. If you are in a spot, um, and and this is why, so that principle is why fellowship, encouragement, spiritual growth, maturing is so helpful. None of us are going to do that perfectly. We're going to have moments where we need to address things in our own heart and step aside and yet we don't want to be content to to miss out on loving care for our children because we've been negligent with our own heart so both those things are true you might need to step away and pause or not uh, address one issue at one point in time but you need to make sure that you're not just going well i messed up again no change grow seek help ask for help we can work through these things god's word is sufficient Um, His spirit's at work in you. If you're a follower of Christ, we have a a confidence in those things. So what we would find is um, uh, discipline and then immediate embrace. That was our practice. So the moment discipline was done, our normal practice was embrace. Sometimes that was received better than others. If it was received, I'd give them a second. Okay, deep breath, deep breath, calm down. Okay, we're going to pray at first I would pray and then I would have them pray after me even when they were I mean the earliest they could speak Jesus Jesus (laughs) forgive me forgive me help me obey my mommy help me obey my or daddy you know and Jesus name amen that whole event we would have times where it would take 15 minutes and we would have times where it would take two it doesn't always need to be 15 to 20 minutes Um, some of that is talking through with your husband, working together, being unified in the approach that you're taking and what you're going after, but then it would be followed up with the right action. So then to get back to your question, if there's not that embrace, if it's no, no, okay, lay down again and we would discipline again until it would get there. And and again, after a number you're not trying to do, you, you really wanna be mindful of if there's any sort of like lingering marks blisters rash like rash um, pullback let's talk about it go get help don't just navigate those things independent go ask ask myself ask Tom ask Tyler um, hey can can you guys can we talk more specifically Circumstances you just can't have a blanket, this is how it always is, or this is what the response always is, and it's a very personal thing, ask for help. Ask for help if you feel at a loss on, hey, this is the specifics of how many times it's happening and what we're doing, um, and uh, and seek trusted trusted people to, to talk through. This is a sensitive topic, it's not popular, and I think the reason it's it's not popular in our culture is because it is done inappropriately so frequently um and so a lot comes with even the term spanking that's assumed on in the world and even accused as something that's improper or unloving and so it's just important that we're above reproach in both how we talk about it with whom we talk about it and how we practice it all of those things um you just need to be faithful i don't know if that that probably didn't actually answer your exact question um Mm. Mm. it's helpful to keep in mind in those moments Um, my child's reaction is not an opposition to the agenda that the Lord has for me in my life right now but it's an opportunity to honor him and glorify him and save this child when there's that hardness and the temptation to be like just Like, oh, I'm getting to rescue my child from this foolishness that dwells within them, this sin that was the same sin that dwells in me, and teach them wisdom of submission and obedience at two. Oh, what a privilege to care for a little soul this way. Uh, to maintain that perspective, it's a hard one to maintain, it, it doesn't come naturally. Uh, but it's it's so important. I remember phone calls with Julie where she's at the grocery store with a full cart calling me going, a meltdown is taking place. What do I do? <laughs> like, I I can't juggle two or three kids, and this is happening. And I would just tell her, leave the cart, go home, discipline, send me a list. Uh, I got it. Or we'll order pizza tonight. We'll figure it out. The most important, if, if laundry's not done, uh, Refrigerators not filled, toys aren't cleaned up, but, but you went several rounds of godly love and discipline of your children all day. Trust the Lord with that. That's a successful day. You got to care for your children. You got to care for a soul. It's great when everything else is done too. Um, but what the husbands heard was come home and be at your best. Step into your homes and serve your family. Um, step up to the plate. And I, I even used a sports analogy, so I know it'll be effective uh, with, <laughs> nobody wants a superstar who doesn't wanna play the last three minutes of the game. You, you want the player who's best the last three minutes of a game. That's what us dads need to be when we come home at the end of a hard work day. We need to step into our homes and serve. And so if you're faint-hearted in your parenting, persevere. Be a blessing to your husbands. Keep, keep pressing forward and care for them lastly on our outline faithfully exemplify and that's just godliness faithfully exemplify godliness to your children when you sin confess sin to them humbly confess your sin seek their forgiveness restore those relationships what you expect them to do with their sibling when they sin against their sibling you exemplify that with your husband you exemplify that with with your children now listen when when husbands and wives have conflict uh, the ideal is that that doesn't happen in front of the children that you don't you know you don't need to seek forgiveness for something you did to your husband in private in front of your kids so that they can see you confess your sin but if you sin in front of your husband in front of your kids confess your sin to your husband in front of your kids does that make sense So this isn't a air out grievances publicly for the sake of godliness, but where there's public failures, publicly repent and seek forgiveness. Live a life recognizing God's presence in all things. Uh, Teach them to fear the Lord and not you. This is where tone, yelling, uh, threats... There's really not a good place for any of those things in normal, everyday parenting. Uh, Teach your kids to submit because they need to trust the Lord by submitting to authority, not because you're going to count to three. Not because if you do it one more time, you're going to get a spanking. Because what are you doing in that moment? You're not teaching them to flee foolishness by submission to God's authority in their life. You're teaching them to fear consequences and cultivating manipulative tactics. I'm gonna count to three. You didn't need to obey me before. There's no repercussions for foolishness demonstrated before, but now that you know that I'm serious, I'm gonna use this mechanism of count to three to get you to do what I want. Or one, you know, one more time and it's a spanking. As our kids got a little older, we were able to have com- we were able to have conversations. We, we tried to use biblical terms as much as possible. So even when our kids were one and two, I would call my sons fools when they were being disobedient. Asher, you're being a fool right now. What is daddy's instruction? This. What would wisdom look like? Obey. We would have that conversation to appeal to them, to biblical principles of obedience to help them when they were distracted. And then when there was clear defiance still expressed, then we would discipline not, you better do it or you're going to get a spanking. No, what are the principles? Daddy's your authority. Daddy instructed you to do this. Look at me in the eyes. You need to obey. Do not be a fool. And then he would either do it or not. And, and we would go from there. So we tried to use biblical language as much as possible. I got scoffed at once at a wedding where I told Asher to not be a fool, but to embrace wisdom. And he was like, two. And then he did it. And it was kind of a, ha <laughs> ha, oh wow okay i guess he understood um uh, i think god chose the right words and we can teach our kids those words uh teaching them to fear the lord there was an example uh, um one of my previous pastors was giving a, a account of a time where he sought forgiveness of his children for speaking unkindly to them in a in a moment of correction and his confession consisted of please forgive me for the way that I spoke to you, in that moment, the intent of my heart was that I wanted you to feel my presence more than I wanted you to acknowledge the Lord's presence. I thought that was such a helpful articulation of something that I'm like, oh, that's, I'm trying to be a bully of my kid. When, when When I yell harshly to get them to do what I want, I'm wanting them to fear me in that moment. I'm not teaching them to fear the Lord in that moment. That's actually... An expression that there's selfishness in my heart that I'm not actually trying to train them to fear the Lord. I'm trying to bully them or, or bully them into fearing me so that they do what I want them to do in this moment because it's an inconvenience. That's again where glory of God, addressing the heart, my heart is important as we navigate these things. And then lastly, it faithfully exemplify. Faithfully exemplify joyful submission to the authority in your life. If you expect your kids to joyfully submit to your authority, you're not asking them that because you're the perfect parent. None of us are. The hope that they have in submission to you isn't, well, submit to mom and dad because they're perfect and they're always right. No, their entrustment in submitting to your authority is a God who has placed you in their life as authority and he, he's trustworthy. And so then what does it communicate to our children when the flawed human authority in our life, we chafe against, complain about, disregard, disobey? What are, what are we putting on display before them when we complain about government leaders and authorities and grumble, dispute about those things? What about bosses? What about our husbands? If we complain about our husband in front of our children, what are we communicating? What, what about this? What are we communicating if we drive 60 miles down a side street, see a police officer ahead, hit the brakes down to 45? Oh, authority only needs to be obeyed when present. Those, we're, we're implicitly teaching those things to our children. Exemplify the kind of faithfulness that you desire to see in your children. Wonderful things flow out of that, integrity of life, clean conscience uh, a wonderful example for them to follow many other things okay we've gone we've gone along what uh what questions do you have i know i have only scratched a number of things that could be spoken about um what's on your mind yes older kids yes yep great great question so older kids in regards to the rod is that the primary question yeah great great question Um, so one consideration faithfulness early brings greater clarity later so if you have opportunity now as your kids are young to be faithful with the rod um, it will be Typically, less of an issue. We're, we talk in generalities with training children. It, it's not always this way, but generally, faithfulness young produces faithfulness older. So, you know, one thing Julie and I would talk about: we need to be faithful with one-year-old issues when they're one, and two-year-old issues when they're two, so that we're not facing three-year-old, three-year-old issues when they're ten. Um, be be faithful day in and day out. Plod diligently day in and day out. The use of the rod in older children. um, There are so many nuances, particularly when is a child considered older in the same way that you might have a child that starts speaking at one and and you might have another child that doesn't start speaking until three. Development issues can be impacted, history, of the child, uh, especially around adopted children and other, there's just so many things that be considered. There's not a clear cut, here's the age when you should or shouldn't. Um, Is foolishness bound up in my child? And um, does the rod seem appropriate in light of that in this season? As children began to get older, uh, we would default same sex disciplining with the rod most frequently or Covered that they would remain covered. So when they were really young They wouldn't remain covered their their bottom would be bare as they started to get older um, five ish six ish If it was the opposite gender, they would not be bare, but it'd be more on the upper thigh area So there's sensitivities. You're you're not spanking to shame your child. And as there's an awareness of their own body, um, being considerate and thoughtful of that is very important. And then that's a question probably to talk through with each, I've known families that spanked well into their teens. And I don't think they were doing it inappropriately so. And I've known families that stopped using the rod prior to the teenage years and I think that was a good decision. So I think it, it it's probably, that question is more specifically answered case by case. Anne, do you have any thoughts? I wouldn't, I, I think um, what you see more frequently than less frequently is abandoning the rod too early, and yet, um some of the foundational principles for the administration of the rod are also frequently neglected and that that's not good you know to 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 use the rod with a 10 year old out of anger there's an ability to exert their strength back that could make things escalate in really unhelpful ways and so where there hasn't been a a pattern set an expectation set it, it there just needs to be a lot of careful thought um feel like I didn't answer your question. (laughs) But we can talk more later if you have more specific questions. Absolutely. had a variation of when we started using the rod. One of our children really benefited from, I think it was maybe nine months old. It was was early. It felt early. And it was clear. Like, clear defiance. Um, And then one, uh, I don't want to call her out, but (laughs) like, maybe 19 or 20 months. Because it was so funny with with our boys, it was more like, no, no, uh, okay, you know. With Kyla, I remember the first time, Kyla, no, you know, it was like her whole world came crashing down, and it was quite a bit. And she didn't do it again. There wasn't defiance. It was like she, she, she was easy to train early on. Uh, very easy to train. What else? What other questions can I not answer? <laughs> Tanya. Hmm. Hmm. Mm, mm hmm. Yep. Great question, so um, if, if the more controlled spouse can intervene in a loving, non-dominating manner to kind of help direct the conversation and diffuse it, uh, that's ideal. So to not call your spouse out to repentance in front of the kids in that moment, I think is, a, is an honoring thing to do and is helpful. If you can, um, hey, can we just take a time out together? There's a lot of tension. There's sin, obviously, in all of our hearts transpiring right now. Can I can I just pause us and can we pray together as a family and kind of reset that this moment would be first and foremost about God's glory? Um, that's not calling any one person out, but it can take things from up here and bring it bring it down. Uh, Julie and I developed um, looks that we know that you know. If I'm up here, she can kind of. I mean, I don't even know what the look is. I just know it. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm 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 in I'm communicating more than I intend to right now through the volume of my voice and the fact that we need to do this. Well, come on, guys. You know, and I, I'm not I'm not a yeller like an angry yeller. I've got plenty of faults, but. Screaming at my kids isn't one, but I can talk with an intensity that brings a weight to what I'm saying. Imagine that. Can you imagine that? It's me being passionate about something. Um, I could I can miss that. And Julie, Julie and I, we could be sitting with another person or couple and having a debate. And if her hand just kind of goes on my thigh, I know I'm up here <laughs> and the occasion calls for this and I'm, I'm, I'm communicating more than I intend. So proactive conversations with your spouse, like, hey, have you ever noticed, your private conversations, have you ever noticed sometimes things can escalate, we all get there. Is there something that I could do that would be a blessing in that moment to help you not be up there? Because I, I suspect you don't want to sin against the Lord or the kids in that moment. And if I sense that, your tone or your volume is how would you like me to help you in those moments is there something I could do would a you know sign help or you know we c- come up with something together let it be fun to help each other in that moment if that's welcomed um, if it's ever anything aggressive or seems like it's going somewhere uh, violent or anything along those lines then I would Wholeheartedly, just call it what it is and seek to diffuse it, um, keeping in mind biblical principles that a gentle answer turns away wrath. A kind word can be heaping coals on on someone's head. And so, if someone is boiling, uh, a stern admonishment may not actually be God's most helpful means of grace in that moment in their life. But a but a, a tender touch and hey, I th- I think it I think it would be a blessing to you and to us if we just took a time out and of regained control here for a moment um, but I would I would I would want to have that conversation offline um, hey how did that go what do you think you did well what would you do differently nothing I did great I was, man I told them I put them in their place and I man they knew who was in charge would you talk to somebody and get an extra p- <laughs> I, I didn't feel the same way about that I don't think God's word I don't think the Lord felt the same way about that. I could be wrong. Um, can we talk about that more? Do you, is there somebody in your life you'd feel comfortable going to, and maybe getting a second opinion? Because I'm not there. I, I don't think that was pleasing to the Lord. Those types of conversations can be um, can be helpful to that end. It's a good question. Those moments are. I mean, there there's there there are times where Julie has been just such a help to me from that going directions and yet didn't shame me or, or instill a lack of reverence or respect for me in that moment and again that comes back to submitting to authority not because that authority is perfect but because it's the authority from the Lord and so there might be occasion in that moment um, to step in and say uh, you need to obey your dad or mom regardless of what they say or what I say, um, but right now you need to be quiet and listen because they're your authority. And you might choose to help your children recognize their position of submission and address husband and your spouse or address, address sin in your spouse. I'm talking to women. So address your, address your husbands um, privately, quietly, not in front of the children. And what that moment may call for is hey, the kids are not the hook from speaking respectfully to their father because the father's sinning in a moment. Same, same way, a, a husband shouldn't shame his wife in front of his kids because his wife is sinning in front of the kids. The kids are still called to respect their mother, to obey and submit to her. And so in that moment, um, I wanna help the kids see that and then as appropriate, help, help my wife see what she needs to see. Those are really good questions. I knew they were coming. What else? Yes. uh-huh okay okay So a, a four-year-old, I would I would uh, I would discipline them at home, and the discipline would be twofold. Um, one, you took something that wasn't yours—that's stealing—and two, mommy told you no, and you disobeyed. And so for a four-year-old, they'll understand. They'll remember. So what I would do is. When our kids were younger, and let's say they don't understand covetousness, right? They don't understand what that is. Use words that they do understand to describe the word that they need to understand. So don't only use, um, you know. For for example, uh, a lot of children's stories talk about badness in our heart. Okay, we would always read children's storybooks or Bibles or talk about, you know, badness in your heart god calls that sin so we would use the simple common lingo that they might be more familiar with at one and a half or two to describe the bible word same with foolishness same with uh what was the word that i would um you know temperance you know i talk with my young men and 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 talk with kyla just what does it mean to be temperate and so we use that We didn't introduce temperance when they turned 10. They were hearing that word at one and two. But then we would use other words to help describe it. So if they don't understand what stealing is quite yet, or coveting, or contentment, um, that was not yours. That's a no touch, no take. That's not yours. That's stealing. But I want it. You are coveting. You're wanting something that's not yours. You are coveting that thing. God calls that sin no no <laughs> you know so we would have that conversation with a four-year-old um, and again that that both trains them it gives them the knowledge of of God's word and what things are uh, but then it also where there, and it gives clarity when there's defiance so if if your child just put something in their backpack but they've never been told yet to not take something from the store that that might be an issue now What do you do if the child wants to put something in their backpack every time you go to the store? So sit down in advance and don't let them take their backpack in the store, first of all. (laughs) And tell them, faithful with little, faithful with much. You were not faithful with your backpack in the store last time. So you are not okay to bring your backpack in the store today. Okay, you did not obey daddy or mommy with a happy heart. That's foolish. That's not joyful submission. And you're going to be spanked. So we, we expected not only the right action, but the right attitude. Obey all the way right away, obey with a happy heart, joyful heart. Those were those were some of the, the, the terms that we'd use. And so, yeah, those are some, some principles. At four, uh, there's enough connection in most children, unless there's other indicators development-wise that would say maybe it's not right. So if, if your child has special needs or there's difficulty processing logic or things like that, obviously there's um, unique situations but I would put if a typical four-year-old they can remember what they saw at the store that they liked that they want to tell their friend about when they get home they can remember that they disobeyed you at the store as well and so um you know a one and a half year old I wouldn't drive home and 20 minutes later spank them for something they did at the store I wouldn't do that yeah great question this is this is rubber meets the road you're not uh you're not on an island. If if um so okay. So when I was a child, I stole something from Target. <laughs> I think I was maybe 5. And we got home and my mom, "Where did that come from?" "Uh, I had it." "No, you did it." <laughs> "I know your toys. I bought every one of them for you. Did you steal that?" "Yeah, I stole it." She drove me back to Target and made me give it to one of the workers. That was really helpful. That was memorable. I remember it still. I don't think I've stolen something from a store since. It was horrible, it was terrifying. I stole it, the, the like 16 year old worker was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have a context for what just happened but it was good for me, that's helpful. How are we doing, any other questions? Oh, we're past, any other questions? Can you maybe one more? Thinking through, uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. Parenting is hard. It's hard, and yet it is a privilege beyond what any of us would ever deserve or could hope for, to care for little, little hearts. Cultivate thankfulness. Be joyful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that I get to teach this little soul wisdom and teach them the folly of foolishness and teach them to fear you. Thank you for this privilege. Cultivate that, that joy and thankfulness. And when you don't have it, just press on. Persevere. It's not easy. It is hard. Julie and I have talked. There's nothing that we exert ourselves toward with more constancy than parenting. And nothing that we feel our helplessness to a greater degree than parenting. Um, and at the end of the day, uh, our goal is to glorify the Lord. And so we just seek to be faithful and trust him and are thankful for the cross because while we press on towards faithfulness there's many times where we fail and uh, and he's patient and gracious and our kids are just a joy even and despite our failures and, and we thank the Lord for that alright let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for this morning thank you that you have not left us directionless in the care of our children uh, thank you for your word it is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. Help us to walk faithfully toward you in it out of worship and love for you. I pray that you would produce much fruit in our lives as a result of your sanctifying effect in being a parent. And Lord, that you would produce much fruit in the lives of our children. Uh, We earnestly long for them to know you and we plead for their salvation. And Lord, we pray that you would do that. Uh, And Lord, should you not help us to Uh, doubt your goodness um, never, that, that we would never doubt your goodness in that, but that we would just entrust ourselves and our children to you, and we love you we pray in Jesus' name, amen